The future is in front of you. It's when it sneaks up behind you that it's a problem. Welcome to the edge of nowhere. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this very special first ever Sidetrail compilation edition of the Monster Lore Tour Paranormal Deep Dives from the Edge of Nowhere podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Carr, flying solo for the moment just to update you on what's happening before we get started here. This week, we have three of our past Sidetrails, previously exclusive in our Patreon members area, compiled for your listening pleasure. We are restructuring our Patreon, so it is now only $1 a month to join the members area at patreon.com slash monsterloretour. That's right, just $1 a month, which will get you early access to episodes and side trails. We do what we call a side trail bonus episode around 20 to 30 minutes long after every deep dive episode in our members area at patreon.com slash monsterloretour. But we've decided that going forward, in order to bring all we have to all of our listeners, we will be doing a compilation of the side trails for public release after every few full deep dive episodes. But if you join the Patreon members section at patreon.com slash monsterloretour, the side trails will be available to you at the same time as the episode. So you can get ahead of the crowd by joining our members area for only $1 a month. It would really help us out, and only $1 a month isn't bad for a tour of all this monster lore every week, I would say, right? So jump aboard and roll along with Monster Lore Tour on the road from hate to love. We can only get there together. The first two side trail compilation episodes, this being the first, will be highlights from our pre-existing catalog. These will be the ones we feel are most relevant to our continuing conversations. Today, we will be bringing you the side trails from episodes 11, 12, and 16. The next one will be in a few weeks. First is side trail 11. This focuses on an update of the FOIA documents we talked about in our previous UAP saga in episodes 6 and 7. If you haven't heard them, you can check them out or just keep listening and you'll catch up real quick. Make sure to check out the links in the show notes for this one. Side trails 12 and 16 spring straight out of their attached episodes. 12 is a conversation on crystal theory, and 16 is about the terror of the Tupelac. And here we go. Enjoy. All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 11 of the monster lore tour paranormal deep dives from the edge of nowhere members only exclusive side trail dang not sure that was exactly grammatically correct in the end but i got i got all the right words in there (laughs) (laughs) works for me 
Anywho, this is uh, the follow-up to our Havana Syndrome episode, which was actually a tangential spinoff of our UAP episode. And it came to my attention in my research, uh, once we recorded this episode, that there was new information from the Navy with new FOIA documents being released related to the PAX 205 project we talked about in episode six and seven. Yeah, all heck was breaking loose as we were doing these. So you, if, if you don't remember the UAP episodes, then you want to go back and refresh yourself on six and seven. But we're talking about the inertial mass reduction device that would basically give us the capabilities to fly around like the Tic Tac did through space, air, water, whatever. Nice. So we're talking today about the PAX 205 project that was uncovered in the FOIA documents that we did discuss in the previous episodes there. So more documents relating to the PAX 205 project have been unsealed by the U.S. Navy that show the progress of the project and just how far they may have come already. So in the previous UAP episodes, we talked about how they were applying for funding in a patent. Right. With those, those were the initial FOIA documents that I found. Well, now we know that they got the patent thanks to an email dated Friday, December 7th, 2018, which reads as follows. The subject is patent issued PAX 205 slash patent number 101-44532. It reads, congratulations on your invention becoming patented. Patent number 101-44532 was issued on December 4th, 2018. So there you go. They got their patent. And it's been a while. Got it on 2018. You know, we got to wait for these FOIA documents to get released. So we're always well behind with this thing. But we're catching up. You know, it's we're less than five years behind now. But that's next step stuff. That means that there's something to it. It's been approved. It right. means that they, the first one was just a, an application for. Right. And this one is saying, yeah, it looks like a real thing. Right. So how did they get this patent? Right. That's actually the next question in my notes. Yeah. They actually released all of the relevant emails to the patent process along with these FOIA documents. And we're going to follow this trail of emails to see how this all went down, okay? The paper chase. Actually, it's yeah. not paper anymore. This side trail is made of paper. It's a paper trail. Yeah, it's uh, not environmentally friendly. No. <laughs> well, we're talking about the U.S. Navy here. So, yeah, probably not very environmentally friendly. Uh, but, anywho, we're going to start with an email dated Monday, February 22nd, 2016. With the subject, Navy Case Packs 205 Inertial Mass Reduction Device. It reads, Good morning. And the name is redacted. <laughs> they redacted all the names from all these. It says, Good morning. Please see the attached IEB briefing on the subject of Navy Case Packs 205, the Inertial Mass Reduction Device. Please forward this document to all members of the Invention Evaluation Board who will be in attendance at my presentation on February 29th, 2016. February 29th, even. Everything about this gets weird. If possible, please focus their attention at the concept description paper embedded on slide two of the attached presentation. 
it is truly important that the IEB members understand the physical concept, original and revolutionary in nature, that this invention is based on. Namely, it is possible to reduce the inertial mass and hence the gravitational mass of a system slash object in motion by an abrupt perturbation of the non-linear background of local space-time, equivalent to an accelerated excursion far from thermodynamic equilibrium, analogous with symmetry breaking induced by abrupt changes of state-slash-phase transitions. And you're going, oh God, he's doing it again. Well, <laughs> back to, since you lost me on that. Yeah. It's going to be held, the next meeting is going to be held in leap year. No, this was from 2016. Oh, okay. So they had it on leap it, year. It was on leap day. Leap February day. February 29th right. was the meeting, yeah. Right. So does that have implications for time travel? Are they trying to be cute? <laughs> it's just such a random thing that that's the day. Or do leptons, do leap leptons have something to do with it? But essentially, this, the real takeaway here, aside from all the technical jargon at the end about how the thing works, is that in February of 2016, they actually had a meeting with the U.S. Navy's Invention Evaluation Board, and this thing got its feet under it. That's when this project really started. The Navy went, oh, yeah, this is a good idea. It looks like we can actually do this. Here's some money. File a patent. So that's the beginning. It started in 2016, basically, as, as a real process of building this project, PAX 205. So then we move along a couple months later, an email dated Wednesday, April 20th, 2016. This is kind of funny. The, so the initial meeting was on February 29th, leap day. And then the next follow-up email is on 420. I don't wow. know. Are they, are they playing games with us? Are they doing yeah. this on purpose? Um <laughs> Marijuana time travel was all I get out of that. Do they even know what 420 means, these guys, these yeah. scientists? So th this is an interesting one from April 20th of 2016. Subject is advanced power and propulsion concepts accepted by top experts. Approved. This is, you know, not even two months after that meeting mm -hmm. where the guy is initially presenting these ideas to the IEB. All of a sudden, these concepts are being accepted by top experts. So there's here's our progression. Uh, this one's a little long, but I'm going to read it to you. Greetings. I wish to bring to your attention a just published paper, here and attached, the High Energy Electromagnetic Field Generator. That might sound familiar to everyone who listened to episode six and seven which has great implications as to the feasibility of gravitational and thus inertial mass reduction by accelerated spin and accelerated vibration of electrically charged systems. That is a key. A spinning, vibrating, electrically charged system. That's actually how this shit works. If you spin it the right way, right frequency and angles and whatnot, you vibrate it at just the right frequency, hit it with the right charge, boom, you just broke space-time. <laughs> nice. <laughs> that's, that's the concept behind this. Carrying on with the email. 
the enablement of extreme craft speeds and thus the feasibility of intergalactic travel using current engineering materials and methods is made possible with this publication. It's a friggin' warp drive. It's wow. a warp drive. Yeah. Intergalactic travel. The only way you can do that is if you're going faster than light, if you want to do it efficiently. Intergalactic travel is in a patent that's been approved. Exactly. Yeah. The patent is based on this concept, and the concept is ultimately being able to just bend space-time and being like, oh, you want to go to Proxima Centauri? Okay, hit a few buttons, spin, vibrate, boom, charge. Okay, we're at Proxima Centauri. Mm -hmm. Just instantaneous kind of travel. Event Horizon, if anyone's ever seen that, super creepy movie. Mm -hmm. What's the shortest distance between two points? Pierce in the paper. No, yeah. you're supposed to say straight line. Straight line. No, zero. Mm -hmm. <laughs> zero is the shortest distance. <laughs> and that's what this thing's working towards. It's crazy. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to skip over this. It, I, I am going to have the links to all this in the show notes for this side trail. So if you want to read all of these emails, there are, there's a bunch more to that email talking about the technical side and stuff. But I just want to show that they basically just said, oh, we're building a warp drive. But we could go back in time and beat them to the patent. Maybe we should do that next weekend. Oh, see, and that's, here we go. There's a time travel paradox for you to yeah. think about. Guy invents time travel, mm -hmm. goes back into the past. Someone kills him, steals his, steals his invention and claims it as their own. Then all of a sudden that guy created time travel. That is so much and better than our idea. Way before the other guy even got a chance. Yeah, we were just going to watch Cocaine Bear again next week, and I think this is a much better idea. <laughs> much better use of our time. <laughs> Ooh, we should watch Primer. I haven't watched that one in a while. That's a great time travel movie. Well, Anywho. Or no, 12 Monkeys. Have we, you seen that? It's a series. Oh, yeah. That's, oh, I haven't the, watched the show. The no. sci-fi series was quite good on sci-fi. I've heard that a lot. I yeah. really do. I just don't watch. I don't spend enough time watching stuff to get to everything ever. Well, I thought nine of the monkeys did a good job, but the other few, eh, you know. And there's always a few when you get that big of a group. Yeah. They don't fly either. But anywho, so moving on. So we saw the initial meeting, and then we saw a couple months later, they're like, hey, everybody's agreeing that this could work. And then... Just eight days after that email is an email dated Thursday, April 28th, 2016. And the subject is patent application filed. So that's when they actually filed it. Mm -hmm. They did the meeting. A bunch of people took notice and they were like, yeah, we got to make this happen. And mm -hmm. boom, patents filed. Mm -hmm. Then we get to Alpha Centauri. An email dated just, just a few days later. Less than a week later. From Alpha Centauri. Dated Monday, May 2nd, 2016. The subject is RE PAX 205, and it reads, Congratulations. Now to build a small demo to put the theory into a demo. The SEC 219 bar slash TT call is out. Could be the genesis of a bar slash TT project. I don't know what that means. I can't figure it out. If anyone out there knows what BAR slash TT looks like an anagram, all caps, in military jargon means. We've all been to a TT bar. Please email us at monsterloretour at gmail.com and let me know because I've searched for this a couple dozen different ways. I can't figure out what it means. But basically there, they're telling them, okay, 
you have proven your idea as worthy. Now build us a demo. Yeah, that's what it's saying. A small, little, workable. Yeah, you got to you got to make it actually work. A real proof of concept mm-hmm. that actually works in real life. Then there's radio silence. This is when the project started and they had to actually figure out, okay, how do we actually build this now? Yeah. <laughs> so we're jumping ahead a couple of years. And this email pops up on Friday, April 27th, 2018. So basically two years after they filed. And this is when Bell and Ted show up at the Circle K. No, we haven't got that far okay. yet. All right. That Circle K is no longer a Circle K. And they were going to tear it down, but all the locals put up like this big protest and got it declared a historic place and they can't change it. So now it's just like a corner convenience store locally owned. Dang. Isn't that interesting? It'd be funny if like Jay and Silent Bob started working there. That's in South Phoenix. The actual Bill and Ted's Circle K that they filmed at was in South Phoenix. Southern and Hardy, I believe. Hardy and, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's Laurel Laurel and Hardy, I think. As I said, we're jumping ahead a couple of years to an email from Friday, April 27th, 2018. The subject is engineering macroscopic quantum coherence. Okay. This is where we're going to get into the science part. So quantum, quantum coherence, coherence. Is, you know, the quantum entanglement, you have yes. two particles attached to the spooky action at a distance kind mm-hmm. of stuff. This is engineering macroscopic versions of that. Basically how figuring out how to make, those quantum effects happen to macroscopic objects. Right. That's what we're talking about. I understand. Okay. But uh, this is why we're talking about jumping to the other side because the entangled macro can now move to spooky distance levels. Is it tied in with that? Right. That's, <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're trying to create that uh, the, the spooky stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> With full-sized physical objects. Right. Instead of just the little quantum particles that we can see doing it. Yeah. They always said you can't, commu- anyway, you can't communicate. <laughs> you can't use it as communication is what uh, That's what they've said. I think that's part of what this is going to start breaking down, honestly, I think, in the end. And I'm far from expert, but that's, the laws are going to change. If this really pans out, mm-hmm. the laws of physics as we know them are going to change. Yeah. But anyway, let, let me read this because this is actually going to get into a lot of what we're saying right here. This is a little thick, but I feel like it's a little easier to get out than a lot of the technical writing on this. So this is April 27th, 2018. Gentlemen, please recall that in my recently published AIAA paper, I stated on page three, quote, It is a well-known facet of quantum field theory that everything can be described in quantum mechanical terms. The complex interactions between a physical system and its surroundings disrupt the quantum mechanical nature of a system and render it classical under ordinary observation. So it's basically the systems interact in a very standard way, creating the classical order of physics. Newtonian stuff. Right, right. This process is known as decoherence. However, it is argued that we can retard their word or delay decoherence and possibly even suppress it stop that interaction from happening right basically namely decouple a physical system or object from the environment 
decouple it. It's going to detach from space time. So what you said earlier is the spin, the charge, and all this is what this is. It, the, this the, uh, it makes everything kind of zero sum. Right. This continues by accelerated spin and or accelerated vibration of electrically charged matter under rapid acceleration transits. You get it moving fast. Oh my God, it's back to the future. You get it moving fast, mm -hmm. except the car wasn't spinning. Maybe that's what the flux capacitor was for. It had some kind of gyroscopic thing that was creating the spin and vibration. Because mm -hmm. you got you to gotta get moving at the right speed, spin at the right rate in the right direction, vibrate at the right frequency, and then hit it with the right electrical charge. So Dr. Brown was can, right. And you can disconnect yourself from space-time. Blowing my own mind. Like, I have a hard time keeping up with it, and I'm the guy presenting it. So yeah. you know, it's, it's wild stuff. It's hard to wrap your mind around it. Anywho, continuing on with this, the email. This may be the very condition to achieve a state of macroscopic quantum coherence. The idea being that we never let the system achieve thermodynamic equilibrium, by constantly delaying the onset of relaxation to equilibrium. You're stepping out of reality. Yeah. You're physically removing yourself mm -hmm. from the space part of space-time, I believe is what it is. is and what it, it's really and that's a time to. warp. The system may violently react by generating anomalous emergent phenomena, such as, but not limited to, inertial mass reduction. Which means you wouldn't have gravity anymore. You could just go, oh, we're going that way. And you just go like nothing's re there's zero resistance, you know, mm -hmm. it's just a jump to the left. Yeah. And, and it starts warping the lattice, which is gets us to that point of event horizon type mm -hmm. stuff where you fold space together and just jump over to that next point and then you relax it again. But this seems to be getting around this need for a singularity or am I wrong? Yeah. It's <clears throat> like, it's not a wormhole. It's not a black hole kind of thing. It's not like creating a lane through space. It's just with Star Trek. One object or system. You know, they use system a lot. It's, you know, mm -hmm. it can be you and maybe it's a the things you're carrying and yeah. or it can be a, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. But if you create this vibration spin charge. It's a dampened package area, an area of a couple dampitude yeah it's uh yeah like a little bubble, a you, bubble. you basically make a bubble mm -hmm. in in the in the vacuum energy mm -hmm. of existence and you can just mm -hmm. do whatever you want with it and when you get to where you want to go you just pop the bubble yeah you do that a lot for there's me. there's an analogy for you i pop your bubble as every chance i get Moz. <laughs> 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 we can't go to kokomo but like anywho, that. there's there's the progression of the theory at work here, right? Mm -hmm. A couple of years after, they're they're much more specific about how this works. That their their language is getting easier to understand for the layman and whatnot. It's getting much more straightforward. It's and then astounding. Oh, and, and then this message is sent a few weeks later on Thursday, May seventeenth, twenty eighteen with the subject energy density inside proton is higher than inside neutron star. This is going to be a little addition to the science. What's higher than in a neutron star? The energy density okay. inside a proton mm -hmm. is higher than that inside a neutron star. 
I'm going to read you the email, so. Greetings. If this new finding is correct, we are on the verge of a true revolution in physics and everything else that emerges. The impossible becomes conditionally possible. That is the opening paragraph to this email. <laughs> we were going to go with that as our tagline. You know who it reminds me of? Commander David Fravor. Right. If you figure it out, it will change everything, everything that we do. Everything we know, yeah. Yeah. It'll change the way we do everything mm -hmm. if we figure this out. Yeah. But here is the quote from the email. The pressure inside the particles that make up every atom in the universe could be greater than the pressure inside the densest stars, according to a new measurement. Scientists at Jefferson Lab in Virginia calculated the pressure using the lab's Continuous Electron Beam Accelerator Facility, or CBAF, in some tricky mathematics. The measurement will mainly be used for fundamentally understanding these particles' nature. The calculation is pretty mind-boggling. And here we get to the meat of it. Neutron stars are some of the densest objects we know in the universe. Jefferson Lab Hall B. Leader told Gizmo, they redacted the name, they redact every actual name, it's crazy. Quote, it's an order of magnitude bigger than that, an order of magnitude bigger than that. It could be the record observation of a pressure on Earth. Wow. So a proton, the energy density, is a magnitude, an order of magnitude bigger than in a neutron star. Isn't that when you start fusing things though and making new in, elements? In, and here's what they came to. The researchers calculated the pressure faced by the quarks that make up protons at 10 to the 35th pascals, equaling 10 to the 30th times the pressure at sea level, Wow! according to the paper published in Nature. If you could take the energy from one proton, mm -hmm. you could leap with your warp drive to another part of space. You're harnessing like the the it's just, power of the atom. It's it's Oppenheimer Oppenheimer country. It's basically you might have to do a little bit extra of a boost from something, but it's almost because I believe the number I saw was ten to the thirty third, mm -hmm. and this is ten to the thirty fifth. So I'm pretty sure one proton's worth of energy, if you could actually harness what harness there. the energy in one proton, yeah you could power a leap with your warp drive. We shouldn't let Mr. Burns know crazy? this. And you know who's got this the most right in the pop culture is uh, Star Trek Discovery. Their ship spins. Oh. They have this zero point, like they can just jump to any point in space. Mm -hmm. And their ship spins right. as it jumps. Mm -hmm. So I wonder if this science went into the people who thought of that for that show. Yeah, but Could so we're well so we have found proof of concept that we might actually really be able to build a warp drive, and we have found in a single proton the energy to make it work. If we can make this work, you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. Everything changes, but it, it's like they're moving forward in leaps and bounds. This is just over the course of a couple of years. This is when the Vulcans show up, right? Well, we got to actually achieve the warp first. So when this, this patent has an actual model, that's when the Vulcans show up. 
Right, because in first contact, it's only when the guy hits warp in our star system that they go, oh, yeah, who's over there? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Who was that? Uh, and let's get, they're, they're moving in leaps and bounds, but Literally. there's some real world. I have found some headlines that show they might be farther along with this than this paperwork even lets on. Basically, what are they not ready to talk about? You got to kind of find that information as well. I found an article from extremetech.com dated August 1st, 2014, two years before all those initial emails that we just went through, okay? Almost almost two years before the patent application and everything for PAX 205. Do you think a lot of these UAPs are actually the prototypes that they were messing around with? You know, this is, I was going to do that at the end. Oh, sorry. But this almost, and it ties into my Havana syndrome a bit more, because in, in Havana syndrome, one of my theories was the CIA is the one with the weapon, and they're using it in a way to make everybody think they don't have it. Right. This makes me almost wonder if the Tic Tac was a prototype of the U.S. Navy, mm-hmm. and they saw how their own systems would react to it, how their own pilots would react to it, yeah. almost like it was a test run right. of their new prototype. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, but that might be a little bit ahead of the curve technologically too. It's it's a more f- curving space for a bit of a a bit of a flight of fancy theory, mm. huh? huh? Yeah, flight yeah. of fancy warp okay. drive. Get okay. it? Okay. See what you did there. <laughs> <laughs> but okay, what the hell was I doing? Uh, oh, the article from 2014. That's the one I'm looking for. So this is from extremetech.com. The headline is NASA tests impossible no-fuel quantum space engine, and it actually works. This is from 2014. Uh, Subheadline, NASA didn't set out to confirm the feasibility of a seemingly impossible fuelless thruster design, but it seems they did exactly that. I'm going to read you a paragraph here. A study conducted last year by NASA scientists has become the latest and by far the highest profile piece of evidence in favor of a seemingly impossible space thruster that's been evoking worldwide skepticism for some time now. Apparently annoyed by the persistent boosters of several similar but distinct designs, the space agency finally agreed to test an American-made variant called the Kanae Drive, that's C-A-N-N-A-E, Drive. All right, they said, we'll test your stupid drive that won't work, except it did work. Seemingly in contravention of the law of conservation of momentum, the team confirmed that the device produces thrust by using electricity and nothing else. And nothing else, they said. Are you sure it wasn't spinning and vibrating when it was using the electricity? They left that out. Supporters call them microwave thrusters or microwave or ready audio quantum vacuum plasma thrusters while most others use the phrase anomalous thrust device quantum vacuum plasma thrusters i'm not going to read it to you it's with the foia documents on the link i i will supply but when you get into it like i really read that paper like the actual thesis Mm -hmm. that came along with the application and everything and they talk about how you actually create a plasma bubble 
mm -hmm. around the object or system within the vacuum energy state. They call this quantum vacuum plasma thrusters. You think that might be the same thing? Well, the Tic Tac does look like it could be uh, an orange. It could be a plasma. It could be a plasma skin around that. Right. Like the what we think is a craft is really just the plasma. Yeah, it's the bubble mm -hmm. that we're talking about. It's the bubble. All right. So 2014, they were testing something that sounds very suspiciously mm -hmm. like what we're talking about here. And they, they people didn't really even know the details on it. Like, oh, it just uses electricity and like, but they didn't know what it was. But what if, it if it is the Navy, why would they say these things exist and look out for them and let us know? In a way, they'd be still doing the cover. I mean, I don't know. I know we're getting well, ahead of ourselves. That but. is the cover, though. Yeah. They act like they don't know what's going on right. so that people won't think they know what's They're going on. Right. Because they know what's going on. There's some yeah. government thinking for you right there. Mm-hmm. That'll be a first. So we see that even a couple of years before the patent process, they may have been testing things like this already. So now we're going to jump to more current. And this brings me to a story I found. It's basically happening right now at the time of recording. This is an article from the debrief.org from July 10th, 2023. Impossible quantum drive that defies known laws of physics scheduled for do or die October spaceflight, October 2023. That's right now. A controversial new type of electric propulsion system that physicists say defies Newton laws of motion, known as the quantum drive, has secured a spot on a SpaceX rocket and will launch into low Earth orbit this October. Designed by IVO Limited, an electronics prototyping company, the promising yet controversial quantum drive could change the future of space travel, and, if proven to work, would potentially rewrite or expand many of the accepted principles of inertia and motion that have existed for centuries. This is exactly what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. More recently, as our understanding of physics has evolved and new tools and equipment including extremely powerful computers have allowed scientists to look for and test seemingly impossible theories, new ideas about moving through the vacuum of space have begun to emerge. One such concept is the idea of quantized inertia, QI, quantized inertia, there you go, proposed by physicist Mike McCullough. McCulloch, M-C-C-U-L-L-O-C-H, proposed by physicist Mike McCulloch, a professor at the University of Plymouth. On his website, McCulloch notes that Newton's first law defines inertia with the observation that, quote, objects move in straight lines at constant speeds unless pushed on. McCulloch further notes that although Newton defines inertia in these simple terms, the 17th century genius never quite explains what exactly inertia is. In an effort to offer an explanation for the true nature of inertia itself, McCulloch developed his QI theory, which looks to the strange and mysterious properties of the quantum world for answers. Perhaps unsurprisingly, his efforts to explain inertia have led to wide-ranging criticisms, 
since his proposal seems to defy the laws of motion first set down so many centuries ago. Laws that have proven extremely reliable for rocket scientists and engineers alike. Except they're not trying to use the quantum, are they? It's a whole different ball game, dude. Continuing, in recent years, a company called IVO Limited has developed a quantum drive that they say is based on McCulloch's theory and that has proven to generate thrust in laboratory tests, despite the skepticism from mainstream physicists. Now, after a cancelled flight in June, so this was actually supposed to happen a few months ago, that quantum drive is heading into space to undergo real-world testing sometime in October. This means that, unlike other theoretical drives, including the controversial EM drive, proposed and designed by engineer Robert Shawyer, that have yet to get off the ground, IVO's quantum drive will finally have a chance to fail and prove conventional physicists correct, or actually work, by successfully creating thrust, a result that would force physicists around the world to expand their current models to include McCulloch's controversial theories. This guy's going to win a Nobel Prize. So it sounds to me they're building this thing, right? Yeah. They're developing it a little bit at a time, but they're making real progress. So what they're doing here, to save you reading a whole bunch more stuff, they're actually attaching two little nodes to, to a dead satellite that's just kind of floating around out there. They're going to tic-tac it? And they're going to test it to see if they can purposefully and Spin accurately. Spin and vibrate an electric. Well, the little things on the sides will be. You know what this reminds me of? Oh, yeah. What you were talking about with the one in the water. Yeah, yeah, the network of yeah. nodes that network can move it around. They're putting a couple of those little nodes on there. And if they can, you know, purposefully and accurately move the orbit up and down mm -hmm. how they want, like, you know, in, in a way that they can put in the numbers and it will do what they want. Mm -hmm. That's full on proof of concept. And then they can start building bigger ones. They're starting very small baby steps, but you can see this progression that in 2014, it seems like they already had something working for it. Now, nine years later, they're getting a little more public with it. They're sending stuff up. They're letting people know they're not really telling you exactly what it is. Mm-hmm. But it sounds to me like th that's what they're using. Like this PAX 205 is coming to fruition. Like it's happening. So my question to you now, Moz, is how long do you think it will be before we have a full-on warp drive? Because I want to go to Alpha Centauri. Well, I, I, I think just like anything else, that's going to be uh, not, not for anyone but a select few. And I don't think... I can't wrap my head around it, honestly. It's hard. I've been studying this from, man, I've been researching for this stuff for well over a year now. Mm -hmm. And I I can kind of conceive of what they're talking about. But yeah, it's you can't really wrap your mind around it. You're stepping outside of all the known laws of physics and you're kind of plopping. It's going to rewrite the whole game. It's, it's time travel. It's... And, and really... You know, I, I, I'm a dreamer. I, I like to think that good things can happen. And if, if we figure out how to harness energy like that, at that level to make that work, if we could take one of those protons a day and put it into the electric grid, we could power the whole world. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? 
like if, if we figure out how to actually access the energy of the universe that way, the, the limits don't exist anymore. Yeah. There are no limits anymore. We do whatever we want. Yeah. Which is why they won't let us use that for energy. Well, that's when it's Star Trek. Yeah. That's when they can't stop it anymore. And that, that's when you get into the whole Star Trek. Everybody has access to the resources. And instead of money being the thing that everybody strives for to gain status, it's being good at things. And then, you know, people can find what they want to be really good at and get good at it. And that's all that matters. You're, and you're given all the resources along the way to do so. Our society could grow into such a better thing. I don't think... Uh, or the people in charge will use it as a weapon and just blow us all yeah. to bits and we'll just all be dead. Yeah, I don't see <laughs> us on the track for the Star Trek uh, culture. I really don't. Yeah. I see very different <laughs> use yeah, and, you know, and abuse it's all, of all of this. It's not what you know, it's how you use it, man. We got to start using it right. Yeah. Well, and especially hope. with, if we develop a power like this to... to harness the power of the proton and mm-hmm. bend the lattice of space time and all that man the no. possibilities it, it's really endless on both sides of the scale it's astounding i would say but Murphrap was right so i don't know about you but my brain hurts i think this side trail is uh coming to an end everybody but i i hope you uh are more informed and I hope not too much more frightened than you were before <laughs> the side trail started. It, it, it is amazing. Although I there is an encouragement in it because it could go that Star Trek way. Yeah. If we develop this, it actually could. There's always forks in the road for, for human society, you know, but the fact that we could actually put ourselves at a fork where if we choose the right way, we can become that Star Trek sort of society. Yeah. The, the possibility alone is exciting. So, yeah, we're at a crossroads and uh, humanity is at a crossroads, if this is true. Yeah. And there's always, what What do we tend to find at a crossroads? I went down to the crossroads. That's where you make your deals with the devil, is at the crossroads. You got the monster, you got the devil, you got the trickster. A lot going on at the crossroads. Yeah. You got That's why you got to make sure you choose the right direction to yeah. move in. The road less traveled. Yeah. I always choose the road less traveled by. There you go. And miles to go before I sleep. Anywho, <laughs> thanks for joining us on this 11th edition of the Monster Lore Tour Side Trails. You're in your own garage. Don't tell. Don't lie to people. True. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just in the garage. That's very true. But we will see you next week. Thanks for being members. We really do appreciate it. We need as many people on this journey from hate to love as we can get. Keep on supporting, and we will try to keep making this podcast better and better for you. Till next week, stay weird. All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this Monster Lore Tour Paranormal Deep Dives from the Edge of Nowhere members only exclusive side trail number 12. This is for the Stanley Hotel follow-up. So Moz will be leading the way on this one since he led the way on the episode. Yes. I kind of wanted to uh, mention because you got very excited about the quartz crystals and 
Yeah. We decided that we were going to take that piece of it out and discuss it on a side trail, get a little deeper into what might be going on and why that might be affecting some of the phenomena that they're seeing in that hotel. Yeah. Phenomena. Uh, Chris. And and why all the ghosts are there really seems to correlate with me. Well, it. Crystals are one of the things, and I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but it seems to me, you know, we all have our line of the foo-foo line where we think anything below the foo-foo line is an ex- doesn't exist, but everything above it maybe, or something like that. Foo-foo line? Well, you get the, you, everybody has their, I'm not buying it anymore. Oh, okay. And, you, and, and crystals oh, has always been on that. that. Oh, foo-foo like foo fighter, foo-foo. Yeah, well. I gotcha. Well, I just think it's kind of the, it's the <laughs> nonsensical Right. You know, and is there really something to it? Crystals has always had that, you know, people carrying around crystals. But, you know, I've become more open-minded, and there's a lot more to it, and there's a shamanic component, and science seems to be backing that the crystal is something strange, potentially. Yeah, I, I found a new story recently that they have detected sound at the atomic level in crystals, like the lattice patterns of crystals actually create vibrations that make sound. Right. They've they've pretty much proven the vibration in crystal theory in a yeah. way. Mm-hmm. I mean, it doesn't necessarily mean that they have all these healing aspects and stuff. I, I believe somewhat in that. I, I have felt the vibration of crystals. So you have firsthand experience uh, that there's something. Yes. That it seems yeah. like there's an energy or a power within a crystal. Right. And it's such an old and wide held belief. And now science is catching up with it, it seems. And starting to maybe prove that there's at least something to it well that wraps up our side trail today just <laughs> thanks for kind of jumped right to the end that's what we do I, you do it to me and i do it to you so it is we get each other back i know i i shouldn't tangent on you like that because i always like okay here's the summation of the entire episode yeah. now go yeah <laughs> well i i got off track and that's when it happened okay. we just well let's talking. jump back to the beginning and we'll cycle back around on ourselves it is definitely what you were just saying crystals are another one of those very globally utilized tools the greeks and the romans used them the buddhists the Olvetics, the egyptians and of course some shamanic cultures use crystals as well in particular australian uh, it seems like. Oh, really? Particularly yeah. Australian, huh? Oh, yeah. That's what we'll be talking about a little bit today. Oh, that'll be new to me. Cool. And I think nearby Sedona was built on crystal shops, you know, pretty much. Oh, it runs on them now, at least. Yeah. 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 Run, runs on Duncan. I actually, I'm not going to do that. Maybe I will. I think, um, I think are you gonna America make a, runs Are you going to make a Boston joke? Um, no, this makes fun of everyone. I think America <laughs> runs on Dunning. It's a It's a cognitive distortion joke. Cognitive, yeah. Oh, no. boy. Yeah, yeah. We'll explain that someday. Anywho. <laughs> but even Tesla was fascinated with cr- crystals, and here is a Tesla joke. In a crystal... That's <laughs> joke. Uh, no, this is a Tesla quote, not a Tesla joke. Oh, okay. In a crystal, we have clear evidence of the existence of a formative life principle, and though we cannot understand the life of a crystal... It is nonetheless a living being. So he goes Ooh, a even living being, further. Yeah. It's very pantheistic of him. So is he conjecturing that crystals are sentient in some way? Like they're actually conscious? Yeah, and I think that if you can go to the route of... And, and again, when we talk about plants, sentient plants, and then we'd start... That seems 
slightly more plausible than sentient rocks. Yeah, but you know, what if everything thinks? Yeah, well, pantheism is that everything is imbued into right, right. you know all all matter and all molecules, and everything has a certain life force to it, and like literally everything has a soul. Yeah. Ken Wilber once said, uh, what's the difference between a rock and a human? And, you know, it, it was time. You know, the rock can become something. It's just locked. Everything's locked in there a little bit. So Potentiality. Potentiality, yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I have to double check that. I don't know. Sometimes I just make shit up. <laughs> <laughs> a lot rolling around his brain. It ain't sound, all good. Sounded legit to me, Moz. There you go. This from Global Heart, the quartz crystal from a shamanic point of view, which channels some Harner, and uh, there's some quotes within quotes there. So this is from a website, but they have some Michael Harner quotes within it. I'll let you know when they pop up. Okay. Quartz crystals were used for everything to seeing into the other worlds to assisting in the extraction from patients of harmful diseases or intrusions, as Harner called them. He gives an example to the Wario. It's W-A-R-A-O. And I, Waro, Wario, Wario shaman of South America, believed that at death their soul would merge with the quartz crystal inside of his rattle and ascends to the sky in the form of light. The Australian Kabi shaman, with many crystals in his body, could journey down into the deepest waterholes where the rainbow spirit lived and receive more quartz crystals. Such a shaman would arise full of life and be a medicine man of the highest degree. Wait, his body full of crystals? There's a, it's, I, don't, I don't know if we get into this for, for this part. I'm not remembering off the top of my head, but basically during the shamanic initiation, you often something's taken away, something's put back. For the Australians, a lot of times a quartz crystal is kind of embedded into the, sh- the, sh- the shaman initiate wow. who emerges as a shaman. That that's that's a piece of the puzzle. It's like your subdermal popcorn kernels from well, Havana syndrome. Well, in other <laughs> other cultures, it's kind of like the extra bone. You you actually get a, a, a new bone put oh, in, yeah. and in this, it's like an extra. It's a crystal often. So that like. is very heavy on the crystal. They're they're concept of magic or shaman shamanist magic yeah and i came across another one that there's a tribe that actually their yek is you know they're familiar their ikla their totem is the quartz crystal they use can use the quartz crystal wow they can actually have a crystal as a yek yeah and that's where again you get to this port where i don't understand (laughs) i've been wearing this fire agate that i found and turned into this necklace for like a long time. So could this be a yak? This could be your yak. Because this, this is a really cool fire agate, and these things can carry some power. Yeah. I guess you have to be open to that. Interest. I didn't even know it was a possibility. I'm going to have to do a little research in the processes of this. Well, when we talked about Nud Rasmussen and and, uh, and Alfred Reby and, and this depth psychology component to sh- shamanism, we, one of the shamans came across, I forget the name of the creature, but... It was essentially meant compressed ice. So that is kind oh, of yeah. almost crystally water, crystallized water. That's essentially a crystal, yeah. Yeah. Wow, so, just a water crystal, yeah. So it is interesting that what they describe and what they find and what they harness and what they think is happening on the totem side can get away from animals into some 
pretty strange. That's areas. pretty wild. And that goes into Tesla's concept of the living crystal. Yeah. It, it would have to be living on some level to become a yak type yeah. thing. Yep, exactly. So Tesla was on to something. Uh, back to the website, a lot of power is associated with the quartz crystal, according to shamanism, and Horner points out, and this is a Horner quote, in modern physics, the quartz crystal is also involved in the manipulation of power. Its remarkable electronic properties early made it a basic component in radio transmitters and receivers. Thin wafers, wafer thin, wafer thin, sliced from quartz crystals later became basic components for modern electronic hardware, such as computers and timepieces. Western science has obviously advanced to the point that it recognized the quartz crystal as a power object, something that shamans have known for thousands of years. It's kind of funny with how advanced we call our science, how it, it's just catching up to all this old knowledge that they have given no credence to in the past. Yeah. It's, it's like it's cycling back around on itself. It comes up a lot, and it is it interesting really that we're, because we're trying to find the scientific backing for some of this stuff, and when you look, seek and thou shalt find kind of thing. Yeah. What is it? They, um, they took a picture of, is it the muon? One of the really base particles mm -hmm. of, I'm pretty sure it's the muon. They actually got a picture of it, and it looks exactly like a yin yang. Yeah, you, you we did, we did discuss like exactly. this. Exactly. Yeah, we did discuss this. Makes no sense. It well, it does. does the that's the thing. It does make sense. That's the <laughs> yeah. thing. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yuck. 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 <laughs> so away from Harner and back to this blog. While this all may be coincidental, it is one of the many synchronicities that make the accumulated knowledge of shamanism exciting and even awesome. Not only did shamans use their quartz crystals to heal, but they also used them to peer into the future for seeing as well as divination. An interesting point in the book Horner brings up is the crystal ball, with which people in our culture are familiar, at least by name, is simply a polished descendant of the old shamanic crystal. Wow, I'm going to talk about that at the end a little bit too. He explains how some indigenous cultures use crystal gazing to see visions of the past, and what's happening in the present, as well as to see the future. That's from Global Heart again. Wow. Yeah. See, I, I've always put some credence into the crystal power. Mm-hmm. But you know, I'm 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 a weird hippie. Yeah, you're just a hippie guy. <laughs> I have to be brought along in these things. But I'm not anyone I'm who's coming around. Yeah, but anyone who's been listening to the podcast knows I have a, a pretty hard scientific bent. At the same time, I love how maybe I'm dwelling and repeating myself, but I love how the science is proving my hippiness to be That's right a, to a be real, something like to your hippiness thing. Like yep. there's actually real science behind it. Yeah. Well, if it works, if it feels good, do it kind of thing. And I think. See, there you go. That. Now you're getting the hippie thing. If it feels good, do it, Moss. Yep, there you go. Quartz figures prominently into shamanic initiation. Oh, we talked about this already. Oh, but we didn't talk about this group. The Hoikels believe their strongest shaman were converted and stored as quartz crystals. And that's very similar to what we just heard. They actually turned mm -hmm. in. So yeah. instead of turning into an animal, they turned into a crystal. Well, if you think about it, they we read from, uh, I'm, I'm trying to think if this was Iliadi, 
but there's four cycles of the shaman, and then they can turn into their yak. Right, if right, If their yak right. is a crystal, then they turn into they a crystal. Can turn into a crystal, and they can wow. be store themselves, kind of like you know, uh, Superman's father, you know, in in the fort, fortress of solitude, you in, get all these crystals and. In a proper crystal, you can store information on it like a computer chip. Right. So you can store this. So it's like their consciousness is actually held within the lattice of the crystal. So Futurama was wrong. We don't need the fish tanks. (laughs) We need. We just need quartz. Yeah, that's all. Wow. Four quartz equal a shaman. Yeah. And that's what we were talking about in the episode when I said it's almost like it's the information stored in the crystals and it's just replaying. Yeah. I, that's was more apt than I even thought. Yeah, I, I did find what it can store from a scientific perspective, and it's 360 terabytes worth of data for billions of years. Wow. And again, this is theoretical, but there's a lot of, it's, it's, it's getting to be stronger and stronger theory that there's something to what we can do with crystals in the wow. future. Wow. I'm so glad I'm invested in Flagstaff Rock Shop. <laughs> little plug for Greg. I'm, I'm half owner of like a thousand quartz points, man. Yeah. That's awesome. A thousand points of quartz, wasn't it? Uh, yeah. Bush, you said that. Uh, according to the Encyclopedia of the Psychic World, geology can factor into hauntings and happenings. Here's where we get back to the Stanley. Geological and geomagnetic mapping can help us determine, or at the very least, might play a part in why areas can be deemed sick. Build, we can have sick buildings or sick structures. That's from Encyclopedia of the Psychic World by Teresa Chung. You can also have kind of blessed structures and whatnot for the same reason, though, right? Depending on the energy of the crystal. Yeah, sage that shit. That's a good t-shirt. Well, I'm just saying if you have the wrong crystals in the ground with the wrong vibrations, then it gives bad energy to the place. But if you have the right crystals in the ground with with the good vibrations, then it makes it a good place. Well, as we find with shamanism and, and elsewhere, it's very... Uh, up in the air it's a luck of the draw whether you're going to get uh, the yin or the yang yeah Move there on, you go there so you to go speak here's a conversation linda Godfrey had with author Lu- lewis proud when she was looking into some of the ufo weirdness in the baraboo range of wisconsin near a lot of her witchy wolf and uh brave beast kind of stuff but yeah, she also went into deep sp- woods up there but she looked she started looking in the weirdness of the this range because there's all these ufo sightings and she pointed to all this really old crystallized quartz in these mountains as a possible reason. And then she had an exchange with Lewis Proud and I Know What I Saw. So Linda Godfrey asked Lewis Proud, author of Strange Electromagnetic Dimensions, The Science of the Unexplainable, what he thought of her hypothesis. Uh, I might be on the right track, but suggested there may be other factors at play in such a scenario. Here's Proud kind of expanding upon Godfrey's uh, uh, hypothesis, for example, fault lines, other mineral deposits, underground streams, and so forth. With respect to the Baraboo Range, I would suggest that the area, owing to its high content of quartz and a variety of other factors, features certain unique magnetic and electric properties that somehow combine to produce what I like to call an electromagnetic anomaly zone. Whoa, electromagnetic anomaly zone. Yeah. I feel like our arcs are crossing right now. I could short out everything. Well, it just feels like we're getting into energy things like we were talking about with the warp drive where they're messing with the 
gravity and electromagnetics and stuff. Yeah, the theory... It, it almost seems like we're hitting some kind of weird crossing point. Well, speaking of that, the, the hypothesis I'm trying to create from the shaman and then the, from the archaic parts of the brain and then out, one of my main things I'm kind of looking into, I think it does, at the end, might need your help because it gets a little quantum-y, and I'm trying to tie yeah, it in with yeah. some... Uh, some neuropsych guys that I like from back in the day. My question is, do shaman know how to time travel with crystals? Because, yeah, if it vibrates and spins. And yeah, like, can they teleport themselves with that stuff? Yeah, I mean. I mean, I know there's no answer, but I really want to know. <laughs> <laughs> well, it does. It is, it's these crossover overlap, and people may get annoyed with this show down the road because we talk about things from a lot of different angles but it seems like we're talking about the same thing but that seems to be what's happening with our research that's kind of our thing though is finding we said it right off the bat we want to find the commonalities and connections right we didn't realize just how extensive that was when, when we started this project yeah no i know it, it's it's kind of it's bizarre and uh it's been a fun journey so far. Yeah. We're not out of hate yet, though. We still have a lot of that. Long way to go. Like our Wolfman puck last time we recorded something. There was a lot of hate in that. When we get to 100 Patreon members, we will stop hating. <laughs> 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 All our hate will be gone. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> he just lies. Just lies. I thought it might be a good time because we mentioned divination. We talked about... The similarities, or that last quote from Global Heart talked about the similarities, or it was actually a Horner quote, of crystals versus quartz. There is a similarity with how they're used. And right. we all know we do crystal ball gazing. So oh, I wanted yeah. to talk about that just a little bit. Uh, the crystal itself has a lot of mystery surrounding it, even from the divining side, moving a step from quartz, but it's still kind of the same thing. So I found this from Gypsy Magic, a Romany book of spells, charms, and fortune telling. Uh, it is unlikely that you will see anything in the crystal the first time you try to use it, or even the first few times. It takes practice, but persistence will pay off eventually. The first sign is usually a clouding of the crystal. Sometimes these clouds are white, sometimes colored. Like swirling. There you go, a little um, Fibonaccian or spiraling or antarctic stuff. Wouldn't surprise me if it was actually Fibonacci spiral, you know? Yeah. Different people see the crystal vision in different ways. Some see the vision actually in the crystal as tiny pictures, while for others the crystal vanishes and the visions appear in front of their eyes. Some see symbols that they have to interpret, whilst others see actual events. It is a good idea to approach the crystal with a question in mind, or a place or a person you would like to see. Otherwise, the visions are likely to be a meaningless mishmash. And what I liked about this, I didn't know... You know, like I, I, I've heard about, you know, crystal gazing and it does seem like it's an opportunity to see what's in your brain basically projected out, which is what we talk about a lot. Sure. And everybody's, everybody's got this different way of doing it. Uh, tiny little pictures to a little event playing the event. Other people are just seeing symbols that they have to later figure out or Jungian archetype stuff. To me on that, it would just you know in, in in my own philosophy on this stuff it's almost like it depends on the vibration of the crystal the vibration of the person you know maybe even the intent which would change the vibration see for me it all comes down to the vibration so that's what the base of all existence is 
mm-hmm. is vibration. So you get, you know, maybe it depends on exactly what crystal you have and it's, it's lattice work and that, that quote unquote sounds that it's producing its vibration. Maybe that kind of steers what type of vision you're going to have, or maybe it's based on the person's vibration and like what their perception levels are, or maybe it's a combination of the two. And maybe that's why it is so varied because it depends on the person and the crystal and how they're using it. Yeah, and the other piece of it, and we talked about that ontological split when we talked about Roger Walsh and shamanism as far as, you know, shamans think they're going other worlds, and then other people on the tantric or the or the meditative side think it's all happening in their head. This is another instance where if you're divining and you're looking into something, are you just looking at projections of your own brain? If so, what would the crystal itself have anything to do with it? It's just an, a medium like a mirror. It could be anything. But you're right in that it could be ontologically the outside stuff, the vibration of the what you're holding in your hand or what you're looking at or what you're gazing into that's impacting what you're seeing. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know which yeah, it is. I don't yeah. know if it's a combination of both. And uh, It's an interesting thing to think about, and maybe the right scientists will start thinking about it and do some more real science to help show what this stuff really is. Well, I don't think we need the right scientists. I think we just need a couple of We just know, need us. to do it. We just need to do it. We need to figure this, this shit's neck out. And to me, like you say, a projection out of your own brain. See, I'm, I'm, I'm of the thought, too. I'm getting very personally philosophical in this one, less factual, but I, I definitely put some credence in the theory of the brain just being a receiver mm-hmm. and that it all comes from outside somewhere anyway. Yeah. And so either way, it would be external forces at work in my mind. Yep. In, in those two cases. Well, you're not alone on that one. William James and Huxley and a bunch of other folks feel the same way about the brain as receiver. And Ian McGilchrist, if you ever get a chance to listen to some of his stuff, he's on YouTube or if you can get a hold of a book, he's, he kind of just sums it up in a way that, you know, I, it's, it's impressive for those who yeah. believe that kind of thing. If, if we're able to keep doing this long enough, there would definitely be an episode or two on that in our oh, future. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think down the road, we got to start getting the love. We, we, if we never get out of hate, we're just going to stay here in Monsterville. And I like it. <laughs> so either way, we win. Either way, we win. When The closer we get to love, the closer we get to getting Maz's consciousness theory arc. Yeah, there you go. And I hope it doesn't happen anytime soon because there's a lot of monstrous stuff to discuss. Oh, yeah. I'm working on about 50 episodes right now, so that's all we have to do. Yeah, I figure it'll take us at least a few seasons to even start seeing love in the distance. Yeah, and then, you know, we'll snuff it out with more hate. It's, sure. a, it's a long, slow trog from hate to love but we're, we're making our way we're making one little one step at a time yep. one episode at a time yeah or, or one one movie at a time and i think the best movie that maybe captures what we're talking about see you know what i think it is this just occurred to me what we're working on here mm-hmm. is the paranormal version of the theory of everything yeah like what the physicists have been trying to come up with stephen hawking yep. and all those guys have been trying to formulate a theory of everything Mm -hmm. i think that's what we're doing here but we're doing paranormal instead of physics yeah and i i think those guys because they leave out so much of the universe and we're gonna we actually have potentially an astrophysicist we'll be interviewing at some point yeah hopefully within the next few months anyway yeah and if that happens we can ask some of this but i think the hawkings and the weinbergs of the world they kind of leave out 
uh, art, they leave out the aesthetic, they leave out moral, they leave out a lot of the subjective, they leave out whole pieces of the puzzle as far as our own Yeah, which is even a, a majority of the variables, really. Yeah. When you're getting into existence and yeah. levels of perception and whatnot, all that plays. Yep. That's why I do kind of like Ken Wilber as this integral approach where everything kind of has its quadrant and its place and he's kind of fit everything into kind of a... A, a box and it's a kind of a cool one he's actually developed a construct for this stuff well it kind of has a, a fit to what level of consciousness and 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 then we're, we're talking about inner outer us we them yeah um, there you go and then he, he's kind of done it in a way that i think is pretty darn clever i wrote in a poem about that i don't know if i've presented that one publicly yet i'm gonna have to get to that at some point is that the one about your toaster no that's a different thing <laughs> <laughs> that was a good poem, though, I have to say. <laughs> Toaster? <laughs> I, I just jumped timelines, but it's all good. Oh, that was from that last timeline. Yeah. Okay, I'm with you. Yeah, I'm with you had you. a great poem about a toaster. I liked it. Those memories are fading now that we jump to this new timeline yeah. again. The toast is burnt, and that's what happens when you jump timelines like that. Yeah. At least we're off the darkest timeline, though. That place was scary. But the darkest timeline brings me to my last note about a dark crystal, which I think is an important movie to me. Can you just fade that out from there? And that could be the end. Could be like we took off. I thought we were going to talk about the dark crystal. No. I just wanted to do that. <laughs> That's all I wanted to do. It was kind of, and, uh, and we did have our refreshing. hands out. We had our hands out, like in the in the in the movie, which is important. I loved that movie as a kid, yeah. and then I watched it again as an adult, and I was like, "Oh no, yeah, it's it bad! It's it really bad." <laughs> Especially the, the just the Muppety special effects. I think know? it was just of its time, mm-hmm. and and very much for kids. Yeah, you know, but it was still a classic. Wow, that that was a great conversation, Moz. Yeah, thank you. I like, it, especially the science working its way into the the mythos of the crystal. I, I love it. That was great. Well, and it, it does it. And I guess we should end by saying, is it why the Stanley Hotel is such a particularly haunted and active place? Yeah, it totally plays into it, man. If the ground's full of those crystals that can save that info and have that power and are actually potentially even conscious right. on some level. Right. Yeah, that could totally explain all those ghosts. Absolutely explain. Like it's just saved their consciousness and every once in a while it manifests, you know, when the vibrations are right. Mm -hmm. And it's an energy thing, you know, and on those ghost tours at the the Stanley Hotel, they'll have everybody stand at the bottom of the stairs and they tell them, turn your flash on and just Mm -hmm. take a bunch of pictures and everybody's flashes are going off, going off, going off. So you're bombarding Mm -hmm. the place with the light energy. And some people will get pictures. Not even everybody will see it. They're taking a picture at almost exactly the same time Mm -hmm. of the same place, and it's only popping up on some cameras. It's like you have to be the one to take the picture right when the energy hits that perfect frequency, and the camera can actually get the visual of whatever it is that's there absorbing the energy or whatever. Yeah. And then we had, a, again, an us file where someone was standing next to the person who captured that and got to look right into that phone and see that image that arose. Yeah. So Wild stuff. Thank you, Moz. Well, really th- enjoyed that. Yeah, I had a good time. So 
I hope everyone else enjoyed that as much as we did. Let's see, this is why we started a podcast right here, this feeling I have right now. I hope everyone feels it with me. It's much more love than hate. Still got a long way to go on that road, though. Yep. So join us again next week. Keep supporting with your memberships. It is really so much appreciated. Can't even say how much. All right, so we will see you all next week. Till then, stay weird. Alright, hello everybody and welcome to this monster lore tour paranormal deep dives from the edge of nowhere members only exclusive side trail number 16. This is our follow up for our Arctic Shapeshifters part one, the first part of our Christmas special, ding first ever dong, Christmas special. Ding, Thank you, Moz. Ding dong, ding dong, ding dong. The witch is dead. The witch is dead. Oh, I, oh, I went was somewhere different. different that. Yeah. that was a good mashup, though. Yeah. I like that. That was right. a good mashup. Yeah. Uh, I'm Entangled. In, you know, it's kind of funny that we had ordered this a while ago, like the episodes we're going to do. We got kind of the whole first year mapped out. We adjusted as we go a little bit, but... Mm. This was the slot for these episodes. Naturally. And then all of a sudden we're like, oh my God, it's, it's the first one's coming out on Christmas. Yeah. And we're like, we're going to release both of them on Christmas. That's right. So pretty excited about that. So that, so we're never in order again. We'll just totally yeah. throw it off now forever. That's yeah. the way to do it. Yeah. I agree. But this is Moz's side trail. So I should stop talking and pass it over to you, Moz. Well, I uh, teased this during the episode that we skipped the Tupelac, which... Oh, yeah, right, right, right. Which involves a witch, and ding dong. Which witch does it involve? Well, it's black sorcery, it's scissors. Scissors. It's back to the Arctic Circle, and it's probably one of the creepiest things I came across as far as ways shamans will attack in the Arctic. Is it creepier than that weird tooth elf from your summation of oh, the episode. No. There's nothing worse than rank <laughs> that's, and bass. That's the we just discussed thing. that. All the rest of that has nothing on the that elf playing with people's teeth yeah. all the time. That's the uh-huh. creepiest thing we might have ever said on this podcast in my <laughs> mind. And we've said some creepy things on this podcast. <laughs> the stuff that I I don't just, know why it bothers me so when much. When I cover Christmas, it is much worse than you know, the oh, terrible yeah. things we normally discuss in yeah. a monster podcast. But I want to start with Nud Rasmussen again and his travels and adventures in this area a hundred years or so ago because he, you know, talks about witchcraft and black magic and he interviewed a lot of shamans. And he has the first information, or at least what I came across as the first information about the Tupelac. So I'm going to read that. You've got some readings coming up, so stay awake, young man. I'll try. In Greenland, a Tupelac is a destructive monster formed by magic out of the bones of all manner of beasts. An evil man or woman makes a Tupelac that it may devour his or her enemy. In the Hudson Bay District, the natives were aware that men had once possessed the power of making Tupelate, L-A-I-T, but the art was now lost to them. Tupelac was now merely the term for an evil spirit. A man who has fallen ill owing to the effects of witchcraft is called Sujutikaj, S-U-J-U-K-T-I-T-A-Q, 
When he gets well, it is said that the shaman has bit him. It's believed that the forces utilized by evil spirits came into existence of themselves and can only be controlled by great shamans. I have a question. Yes. The tupolite, they made tupolite. Is that like some kind of crystal or something? It just has less calories than a tupolite. <laughs> if you're trying to watch, if you're a shaman trying to watch your weight. Well, you said they made it. Is it? The Tupelac is made like a voodoo doll. Ah, there you so go. That's will, what I was looking for. Yep, and we will we'll definitely be explaining that even more as we go on. If now a shaman desires to injure a person by magic, someone whom he does not like and of whom he has grown envious, he will first endeavor to obtain some object belonging to the person concerned. This he takes and speaks ill over it and keeps on speaking ill over it, hoping thus to pass on the evil to the person he desires to hunt. And should he discover a powerful or destructive force, such as, for instance, that which may lie concealed in a grave, then he must rub the object he is speaking ill over into the grave. This may give rise to sickness, madness, or enmity, ending in homicide. Yikes. Ilisakut, I-L-I-S-E doohickey C-U-T, can also steal away the soul of a human being by supipical, S-U-P-I-B-U-Q-O by blowing it out so that the soul rushes out of the body. Care must be taken, however, that the person to be injured have no idea that they have enemies. It's essential to maintain friendly relations with them in everyday life. Oh, they sneak up on you. Yeah. Sisters, man. Yeah, that's as evil as it gets. They play your friend and then they blow out your soul. This is, this is where the term frenemy comes from, the Arctic shaman. Oh, yeah, there you go. When at last the object is so far attained that the soul has been driven out of the victim, helping spirits are called in to pursue and destroy it, and it will then not be long before the man who has lost his soul falls ill and dies. Should it be discovered that a shaman is given to the practice of stealing souls, and the suspicion may arise where a shaman is unfortunate with his patience, then he will be killed by his neighbors. Here also the recoil of evil deeds upon the evildoer is well known. For when a soul is stolen away and the man dies, the stolen soul may return and slay the ones who stole it. Whoa. The plot thickens. You know what that reminds me of? What? Newgate Prison. Where, yeah. Where they eat the... Correct. The, uh, the shoulder yeah. in that case. Mm -hmm. And then he comes back and as the dog and eats all them. There you go. You got energetic spirits from uh, a lot of ways that uh, a lot of energy and hate. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Can, and, and that's funny because that was from our Halloween episode. Now this is our Christmas episode. Yeah. Our holidays are meshing. Yes. Makes me want to drink a Guinness and uh, give you a Hershey kiss, you know. Wow. I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> that was from Ned Rasmus in 1929, Intellectual Culture of the Igluic Eskimos. And we have quoted that a lot because I read that and it had a lot of amazing Arctic weirdness in it. But we see the degradation and weakening of the shamanic beings and sisters again. Uh, if you caught that piece of it, there's definitely this used to be stronger stuff that keeps flowing through this. Right, right. Uh, even sounds like, too black, by the way, even sounds like tulpa, a thought form, another etymological yeah, weird totally. moment. And, uh, you know, we talked, you started to talk about, you actually jumped ahead of the game for those who missed it. Uh, what is the, I'll ask you now, and I think you already 
kind of got it, or we, I don't know how far we got with this, but what's the difference between a golem and a tupelac? Because you mentioned a golem. Oh, right. We started talking about this, and then you said it was a side trail, so we cut away. Yes. We faded um, out. I think we played music, like elevator music, right? Now I, I should have written it down, because now I forget what I was thinking. Um, the golem, you have to get the material. Yep. And you know, ho- homogenized material, mm-hmm. right? Because they're always only made out of like mm-hmm. one thing, and then you have to incantate over it. Yes, gotcha. And with the uh, Tupelac, it's more show tunes, like Mac the Knife or anything from Cabaret will work or Rockstar. <laughs> We're gonna get to that. What you'll see, it is it is song that that brings. Ah, it. So you sing. To, you it's to more sing like it. a chanting. Correct. It's similar, I'm sure. Okay. But uh, Pratt also speaks to an uneasy tension in the Arctic communities because of the Sisser ability to do such harm. But let's have you read this first piece about this creature. Depending on which Inuit group you speak to, the Tupelac is represented differently. The Igulik believe it is an invisible ghost that only a shaman can catch sight of. It is also the soul of a deceased person that has become restless because someone has committed a violation concerning a death ritual. This version of the Tupelac has a knack for scaring away game and only a shaman can drive it away with a knife. The Caribou Inuit see the Tupelac as an invisible entity and only a shaman has the power to see it. However, the creature resembles a chimera with the head of a human in different body parts belonging to various species of animals. The Tupelac was seen as a dangerous threat and had the potential to attack the settlement. Only the shaman could defeat the creature, who would devour it with the help of a few spirits. His yaks, you know, his friends. Right, right. That from unexplainable.net, ancient Inuit mythical beasts and creatures, the Tupelac. Thank you. Uh, I actually did back-to-back just to make you miser- completely miserable. Oh, am I reading the next one already? Paul H. Maurer talks about this at length at Katalivik website. K-A-T-L-I-V-I-K, as usual, in the show notes. The original intent of the shaman and that of the magician was a creation designed to destroy or render ineffective the person against whom it was sent. Greenlandic Eskimo carvers fashioned these odd figures in many ways. Built from bones of animals tied together to form a skeleton with peat moss's muscles and flesh and dressed up in small remnants of an old skin blanket or produced from driftwood. The Tupelac, assisted by incantations from the shaman, emerged to wreak vengeance or bring good fortune. Now see, it's all intent. Many shamans of a superior order, Angakuk, were ably assisted in their Tupelac sculpture by private spirits devoted only to the Angakuk. They acted as spies and reported the good and evil of the community to their Angakuk. They appear as objects, part animal and part human. In some instances, the Angakuk was not the only person with the retinue of private spirits. To guard against Tupelacs bent on evil, many hunters took their own guardian spirits with them on their seal, walrus, and polar bear hunts. 
These were good Tupelacs. Some Tupelacs appear as half human and half animal. Every animal has an Inua, an owner. This is always a human owner. Animals are thought to be part human, and they will shed their outer skin or pelt or scales when they feel no human is present, and then appear in their human owner's skeleton or form. Some Eskimo maintain they have seen this happen while they were hunting in some faraway lonely spot. I'll bet. Yeah, so it is It is like a voodoo doll. Yeah. They build it out of all those, the bones and the moss and everything, and then they can bring it to life like the golem, and they can do good or evil with it, whatever they want to do. Yeah, I got one more, and then we can discuss. Okay. This is from Christina Pratt's Encyclopedia of Shamanism. It's possible, as with all hexing, for the Tupelac to turn on its creator if mistakes are made in its creation or empowerment. Furthermore, if the sorcerer underestimates the power of the victim's spirit protection or personal protective amulets, the Tupelac will be repelled. It will return to the sorcerer to carry out the malevolence for which it was created on its creator. Sorcerers are particularly vulnerable to their own magic. Yeah, it's playing with fire in a way. If you lose control of it, it burns you. Yeah, there's so many themes here. As so many themes we keep seeing. Uh, today, the two blacks are not made from sorcerers, but from gifted native carvers. So they basically are showing again that degradation of shamanism, and it's just these carvings now, and they don't actually have any power. Yeah, it's like the magic faded away somehow. Yeah. Uh, yeah, a, a fading. But that. And I mean, maybe, you know, some, and I've heard this before. This isn't even truly my concept, but the whole thing with us flooding the world with these new vibrations and frequencies like all these radio signals and all you know all these electronic fields that are everywhere now mm-hmm. and that you know those kind of now underlying vibrations are are throwing off our frequency where we can't actually sync up with those natural vibrations that we used to use to make these things happen. You know when that just happened? When we're trying to record stuff, there's extra buzzing and there's yeah, things like in the background that you can't yeah. hear, but right, it's like actually you, throwing off and whatever we might be doing to connect to it, the natural energies of the earth. Exactly. Exactly. It, it's all we need to like, we should pick a week a year where we just turn off all the power in this world and people go outside and mm-hmm. look at the night sky for a week. In Star Trek, it was the red <laughs> hour and everybody went really nuts and just destroyed the town. That'd be fun. There, there was a movie about that too. And I'm not talking about the purge or anything. This is a very that's happy, That's what I was peaceful. talking about, the purge. Yeah, yeah. No, I don't know. That's that's the opposite of what I'm talking about. <laughs> oh, so we're on the same. No, we're not. Okay. No, yeah. we're on opposite extremes. Yin and yang once again. I'm the brother who went a little south, and we understand that. It's going to be okay. You are the evil twin here, Moss. Evil twin. (laughs) We're going to get the doppelgangers. Don't worry. Oh, geez, we are pretty soon. Uh, But killing one of these Tupelacs could spell disaster, and I found this Daniel Merker study. It was really cool. A person who killed a Tupelac would lose his strength and become a cripple. A famous case late in the 19th century involved Tatarak, who harpooned a seal only to discover that it had human chest bones and other bones from various animals. Whoa. Chimeric again. Tatarak soon fell ill and later became paralyzed. His father, the shaman Sorkak, lost considerable public esteem 
and the manufacture of the Tupelac was popularly ascribed to Sarkak's rival, the great shaman Kritlak, who had led the immigration of Baffin Islands in 1856 through 59. So that's a creepy tale of accidentally killing this strange creature, pulling it onto the boat, and it has the yeah. chest. <laughs> and it's like you can't win yeah. against this thing. Because even if you Kill successfully it. dispatch it before it dispatches you, it still messes up your whole life. Right. So it, it, you're right. It's actually not about killing it is the problem. It was sent to you, and even killing it is the problem. Yeah. Right. Like you yeah. need to you, deal with it in a you, way other than killing it. You need to find a way to get rid of it without actually killing it. Is that what it is? Repelling it. If you're more powerful, yeah. they're saying you can repel it. If you have a shaman with you or if you have a spell, but what happens? Did you catch what happens when you repel it? I'll say that again. What What happens if there was a shaman on that boat that was strong enough to repel all that energy where does what happens oh does it turn into a shaman hunter it goes back to the yes it goes back to the shaman who created it and destroys him similar to the golem similar frankenstein some of these things that go out of control someone as soon as someone summons one of these things somebody's going to pay the price correct like there's the energy spent the energy spent how's this going to play out somebody has to it's like pumpkin head that reminds me of pumpkin head Exactly. Very creepy it's movie. Very similar, actually. The way he yeah. raises it to yep. go carry out vengeance. Yeah. And in the end, well, how old is that movie? Spoiler alert if yeah. you haven't seen Pumpkinhead. Great horror movie. But in the end, the guy that raises it to seek the vengeance, once he has his vengeance, he becomes the Pumpkinhead. Right. And like, a lot of times. You can't win. You can't like, win. Though. Yeah. You know, Sithsir is a dark road for a reason. Yeah. Um, this also from the Daniel Merker study, contrary to nature, Inuit conception of witchcraft, if I didn't say that, a Tupelac could be killed only rarely and only by a shaman. So if you're not a shaman and try this, you are going to get sick and die. During the seance, the laity could see the shaman attempt to harpoon the Tupelac in midair. The harpoon would shatter into fragments on impact, but reappear whole immediately that the shamans touched it once more. Harpoon had bits of the Tupelac's feathers and flesh on it. However, in the end, only a shaman's helping spirits could kill a Tupelac. The spirit of falcons and hawks were favored for the task, and they positively enjoyed eating the creatures upon its death kind of thing. We just, you just solved it. Yeah. So you can't kill it. The yak. But, but your yaks can. can. The yak is the power. It's really yeah. not. It's just channeling this thing. But this is creating something other of these dark energies but it could be a dead totem it could be a dead yak it could be a dead ancestral spirit right it seems to vary upon the tribe whether you're even talking about ancestral spirits or totem spirits but you're raising some awful energies and sending it out and it's coming back but yes at the end of the day the totem is really the power uh, it's it's Rudolph, not Santa. It's the Bumble, <laughs> not the Winter Warlock. Right, you right, know, right. Those kinds of things. And it really, it keeps coming back in my brain as you go through this arc on shamanism is that they're really just harnessing a power. Mm-hmm. Like they don't actually in themselves have that the power they're just harnessing the power around them it's the universal power that they're just tapping into and setting it to their own device they don't play the violin they just are the conductor yeah yeah that's a good way to put it yeah 
What is those BASF commercials? We, we don't this, make the train. We just have it in our commercial. The the symphony is the yaks and the yes. conductor is the shaman. Right. Oh, I like that. Yeah. That's great. But I didn't finish this quote. Let's finish this contrary to nature quote. Uh, a Tupelac binds together as a single being the spirits of a variety of different animals that would otherwise not cooperate with each other. I suggest that the physical binding of the bodily parts is a ritual precondition for the metaphysical binding of the spirits. The further aspects of the Tupelac conception are consistent with violations of animal ceremonialism. The animal's ghosts seek vengeance and are misdirected by the witch against the intended victim. This is the Dark Orchestra. This is getting Ooh. a bunch of yeks together to do all these awful things. The Dark Star Orchestra? Yeah, there you go. Or what's the what's the one that comes around Christmas? The uh, the Russian one. Oh, the uh, Trans-Siberian. 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 Um, tra- Transylvanian. This is the Transylvanian oh, Orchestra. The Transylvanian I Orchestra. Was, I knew we were going to get somewhere with that. But basically, it's the same idea of taking those vengeful ghosts and taking those energies of wrongful death or, or totem eaten and, and angered or all these angry things. It's basically this redirecting them together and pointing them in a direction towards your enemy. Right. You gather the energy and then shoot it at somebody. (laughs) And hope it doesn't blow up in your face. And if it misses, it might come back and get you. Yep. Scary stuff. Yeah, that's some dangerous ground, man. But the binding of this owner Inua spirit part is also reminiscent of of that ontic pairing I was talking about with the Mertz study with the Kinema, that Mm -hmm. Jadzia Dax example that i gave for the sci-fi fans out there it's basically those entangled souls and we right so if you kill the monster the the person who's inhabited by the monster also dies yeah it it almost feels like that when you're entangling these souls and throwing it out there and yeah you know it's it's definitely fourth shift stuff or fifth shift stuff and really anyone who's into this whole you know mystic magical sort of realm wiccans and and medicine men sorcerers they'll all tell you if you start playing with the evil side of things Mm -hmm. it's gonna bring evil upon you yep like you think even if it looks like you're gonna get what you want and for a while you do at some point it's gonna come back at you just like you're talking about in in this side trail here yeah we're interviewing some wiccan ladies tomorrow yeah tomorrow and that piece of it is the threefold you know what comes back to you evil comes back to you threefold kind of thing so never ends well for the sisterer or maybe it does i don't know well Well, no i'll let you know i'll let you know okay i will let you know they they might let you know they might get what they want for a while and they might attain the power they're seeking but in the end it's gonna end badly yeah, it but always do, does for but them. Faust, it worked out. He did all these things, and then he was like, at the end, he gets sick. Or at, uh, I don't know what that was about, but he gets saved <laughs> at the end, and he's like, I'm just going to make a deal with the devil and then hope the last page just works out. It does. Yeah, that's... That's good for you. Yeah. Anyway. But really, it's always between the fourth and the fifth shift where all the weird, the really cool stuff's happening. Right. The K-Law, you were talking about with Nandor from Russia, those guys, the Chogar... Uh, if you're talking about Mongolia, those dark energies out in the wastes. It's always between those. And then you mixing in this totem, ancestral spirit, or nature deity. Right. Those energies. It's always some combination of what you're putting into your little mix. Here. It's all chimeric, right? Yeah. Mix of This mix is very chimeric. It really is. It's uh, Oh, yeah. You're creating something really creepy. But, you know, our culture is a little different. Like when my grandma, you know, like I talked to her about, hey, you know, how'd you make that quilt you're making there, grandma? 
Well, our ancestors used to use these to resurrect dark energies to create monstrous and to, to, to smite <laughs> our enemies. No, that's great, Grandma. I'm going to go out and play. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's they didn't do that, but this now these carvings that they have around these areas are just decorative. But yeah. the story behind them, and you never saw those. And I, I think we hit on that today. You'll never find an actual these little carvings and creations which are again made with voodoo and moss yeah. and and parts of people because they buried them like this is something you sent out and you bury like they, that's why this art apparently died and i think someone said the 60s that was all but gone yeah. but before so, that they would be able to create these things and use them and after that it just becomes a decorative carving you know like a beer stein but yeah it's like it it's no longer the thing itself, it is a representation of the thing. Yes, yes. Grandma's quilt is just Grandma's quilt. And the day Grandma's yeah. quilt could go out and, you know, fly over and, and smother someone in their sleep. Good Yikes. job. <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. If, it's, if, if this was our culture, that's what that would be. Right, I'm right. just making a quilt that used to kill people. Yeah. You know, my yeah. great-grandma, <laughs> when she made this. So, Hey, I got a scully mogul moment, though. Do you think... One more random philosophical question for you. Shoot. Maybe it was real in like how we talk about it seems to be much more of a thing back then than it is now. Mm-hmm. What if it was just all of the people believing it, truly believing it at mm-hmm. the same time and manifesting it? Yeah, if you think you're being attacked. And now nobody believes it anymore, so we can't manifest it anymore because we don't actually, we don't, enough of us don't get together and really believe it anymore. So we don't have these manifestations anymore. Could it be as simple as that? Well, yes, but the variation of a theme of the Tupelac is that, again, they were your frenemy and you didn't know this was happening, but someone was sending something to you. Oh, right. And then this person's dying and then... You know, the so nobody is keeping it secret. Right. So that part isn't crowdsourced. That's just one person. But so that, they could explain why someone died because of that and reverse engineer this mm-hmm. misfortune, which is what they uh, typically did. Okay. And then the other piece is, of course, the, the sorcerers themselves. Uh, you know, the other theme is that they did have these powers back in the day. They lost them. Right. Or. We just lost the knowledge. We lost the knowledge or. You know, we, we, again, I keep, I want to actually have to go back and read this because I keep using it as an example, but there was an anthropologist who was in a tribe that were, the shaman was actually like, oh, I'm going to kill you now. And he does this thing and everyone around him is just freaking out and they're tapping their, they're tapping them, their thumbs onto their knees kind of in the same way. And they're all thinking, oh my gosh, this is going to happen. He's going to kill this anthropologist. And the anthropologist is like, I don't know what's going on. A little spooked, but just kept us cool. Huh. And all the people in the tribe were in this trance. And if you're in that tribe, you're going to die. That fear right. is going to manifest and kill you. But the anthropologist was like, okay. He, he's the outsider. Who, yeah, it didn't work. Yeah. And of course, the shaman then goes, oh, it's a strong shaman there that just repelled what I tried to do. But if you're in that tribe, you're going to believe that. Because you believe it so yeah. hard yeah. that it'll actually work. Yep. So what what came first, the chicken or the egg or yeah. the rock or the hard place? I don't know. Yeah. What came first, the shaman or the thought form? Yeah. 
There you go. That's a good name for an episode. I like it. But I have a Scully Muggle one before we go, and this is, again, from that same um, uh, contrary to nature Inuit conception of witchcraft marker. Apparently, the polar Inuit employed the Tupelak conception to explain freak malformed animals that hunters occasionally killed. So maybe that thing that looked like it had a human chest is just because they find a, a strange sea creature they've never found or something that was mutated, and then that's always the, oh, that's a Tupelak. Right. So, Some kind of anomalous thing. Anything they find that's anomalous. Anything, like a, an animal that has mange on the land would be the Tupelak. It's the sea. It's something that's deformed or right. dying. Or like the, you know, like they find the lobstrosities and the and the uh, um, the giant whale carcasses that are that are dying. And of course, someone's going to say, wow, that's a big Tupelak. Lobstrosities <laughs> are from the Dark Tower. They call you them, know what I meant. They call them globsters. Globsters, thank if you. If you want to be technical we, about we it. We always Stephen King when we get scared. I That word's in my brain for that too. <laughs> exactly. I've had to correct myself on that so many times. And Child Roland to his Dark Tower came. Mm, yes. Yeah. Cool, man. That is my Tupelakadness. Good Black stuff. Paddy whack. Uh, give yourself a bone and some moss and some it, blood. That's almost like you found the roots of of voodoo. Yeah, the way that's very you're using voodoo. roots. That's more voodoo. <laughs> yeah, there's not a lot of roots in the Arctic tundra. Okay, build your tupelac out of the roots of voodoo. Yeah, no, follow the follow the IKEA package. You know, slot B and circle go. A. See, that's why it doesn't work yeah. anymore because we buy all our stuff at IKEA now. <laughs> That's why this stuff doesn't work anymore. The IKEA Tupelac, not going to work. Not going to work. It's not going to work. Nope. Yep. All right. Well, thank you very much, Moz. Always appreciate a good side trail excursion. Thank you to all the members being here with us. We really appreciate it. You guys help keep us going, give us purpose. And on that note, we will see you. Actually, if you're listening to the double feature we're releasing today, we'll see you in a minute with part two of the Arctic Shapeshifter series. For that minute, stay weird. But going again. How do you spell that? <laughs> <laughs>